Welcome everyone to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I'm here with Lou Weiss, who is president of All Metals and Forge Group and the founder of Manufacturing Talk Radio. His company makes open die forgings and seamless roll rings for industrial machinery building. Please check that out at steelforge.com. And joining us once a month is Chris Keel, who is an economist and a brilliant humorist to try to lighten the load of the economy, which we're currently kind of moving our way through. All the numbers sound good, Chris. I'm not sure we all feel good. That's probably true. And it's a well-known fact that the economy is a joke. So that, that would yeah. tend to reinforce my reputation as a humorist. Um, yeah, it's been interesting. We were conversing a little before the show started about how confused everything seems to be because you look at one set of data and it's very optimistic. And you're thinking, well, you know, we seem to be coming out of this in pretty good shape. Then you look at another set of data that says, oh no, you know, the end is near and you should be building a bunker in your backyard and stocking it with wartime crackers because, you know, it's, and people are like, really? Is there no better sense of where we're going than that? And it's very difficult for business people to plan around this kind of stuff. What it comes down to is that there are big transitions taking place in the economy that really started before all this COVID mess came up. And the COVID crisis just accelerated things that were already taking place. And so the economy really has not had a chance to catch up to that. So we've seen a change in the supply chain. We've seen a shift in commodities. We've seen differences in the way people work and where they work. None of that was new. I mean, we already were seeing those changes, but not at this speed. And that's caused all kinds of histrionics, like with the supply of commodities. It's not that we're out of oil or that we're out of steel or out of copper. It's just the producers are like, well, I don't know what demand's going to be. It was really strong going into 2020, then it died, then it came back in early 2021, then it died again, and now it's starting to come back. Is it going to die again? And the company that's producing this stuff is saying, you know, I have no idea how much to produce because I don't know what the demand is. And we're just in a kind of a limbo situation. You're even seeing that in the, in the credit managers index. Notice how I segued into the CMI there. Um, so the credit managers index has been picking up a kind of an interesting phenomenon. We're seeing people, people, companies buying a great deal more than they have in the past. So where they would normally buy X amount of inventory, they're buying two or three times that. When they would buy machines, maybe they're buying machines further in advance than they normally would. And so the credit managers have been kind of asking, okay, why are you doing this? And it's all been reaction to the supply chain that companies are like, I can't trust the supply chain anymore. So if I need something and I think I'm going to need it next year, I'm going to buy as much as I can get my hands on. The polite word for this is stockpiling. The impolite word is hoarding. 
And, and we're seeing enough of that that it's actually driving inflation. And so the Fed and others look at things that should be driving inflation saying, well, you know, this really shouldn't be a problem, you know, when we see the demand, but the people who are buying the stuff are like, yeah, demand, shaman, I'm going to buy as much as I can get my hands on and maybe I'll use it, maybe I won't. Uh, Chris, last night uh, I was listening to a, uh, a professor, she, uh, at uh, Harvard Business School, um, and he was talking exactly about what you're talking about in, in total agreement, and he refers to the supply chain cycles that we're going through he refers to it as the bullwhip effect when you mm -hmm. whip that bullwhip you create waves ups and downs and that's what's happening here uh, people are beginning to hoard so supply uh, uh, production goes up uh, then at a certain point people have too much hoarding they stop buying the manufacturer already bought extra goods to make uh, product for the high demand. He's now stuck with the inventory uh, for low demand. And uh, then he starts working through that, blowing it off. So he stops buying and his suppliers, uh, you know, tree growers or whatever, uh, they stop, they get stuck. It's just, what that's part of my confusion. There's no, yeah. there's no end to the absurd cycles that we're going through. And frankly, it's, Washington does not know what they should be doing. No, and, and even if they knew what they should be doing, they wouldn't have the ability to do it. Um, so, that. yeah, one of the things that's facing every company, and I would say everyone who's listening to the show, you have two bad options in a circumstance like this. You oh, can either good. look at the demand that you're starting to see and say, okay, I'm going to meet this demand. I'm going to buy the machines and I'm going to buy the inventory and hire the people to meet that demand. But then the demand falls off and you've made all that investment for nothing. And now you're going to be stuck with the inventory. The other bad option is like, well, I think that demand's going to fall off. So I'm not going to buy the machine. I'm not going to buy the inventory. I'm not going to hire the people. And then you watch the demand carry on for a while. And you're like, oh my God, I'm leaving money on the table. And my competitors are coming in and stealing market share. So you know, you're literally faced with, let's see, do I want to jump into the fire or into the firing pan? You know, it's like either way, I'm going to get burned. And there's, it's very difficult to sort of predict where the consumer's head is going to be. We're going to watch the next few months with a hawk's eyes, trying to figure out where people are in the retail season. You know, it's, it's not necessarily going to be a big impact on things like housing, but on a lot of other than manufacturing activity, it's got to be linked to consumers. So first we'll have Halloween. Halloween is now the second largest spending holiday in the U.S. calendar. This will be the fifth, fifth year in a row that adult costumes have outsold children's. <laughs> so we, we have now become a decorating and adult holiday. Then we have Black Vember. used to be Black Friday. Now it's the entire month is sales and discounts. 
And then we have the last two days before Christmas when the American male saves Christmas. And we do it every year the same way. We do not believe that it'll be on the 25th again. And we have done no shopping. We frantically shop right before Christmas, buying whatever crap we can find. And it is a fact that 50% of what men buy in the last two days before Christmas is purchased at a convenience store. So if somebody, <laughs> so if you have been the proud like recipient, for your wife. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, you get, get her a six pack and a package of Slim Jims and call it good. Um, well, it's it all of this kind of feeds the after Christmas activity because all the junk that men buy is returned by the women. They are angry at what they got and they generally spend two to three times what the man spent on the original gift, man saving Christmas. By the way, uh, I just wanna make a comment about your war cookies comments. And I've been thinking about that. And I guarantee you that probably half our audience is not old enough to know what a war cookie was. <laughs> that's true that's true you know but you and i we grew up in the age where when nuclear war broke out which we were sure it was going to our instructions were to hide under our desks yeah that's work. and i was not real confident in that strategy back then even so. right so chris <laughs> It, what are, with you know, Lou feeling this uh, uh, uncertainty in his company, what are the credit managers feeling? You know, the credit managers are still relatively confident because they're seeing all this extra activity, but they don't trust it. I mean, that's been the real, real issue because as we looked at the data, applications for credit are up um, we're seeing a reduction in rejections we've seen more credit extended sales are up all these things are very good indicators but when you talk to the credit managers themselves they're like yeah i'm glad to see the application and i'm glad to see the sales but i know this company and i know that that's more than they normally sell and so the credit managers are beginning to kind of prepare for that 2022 dip. And the sort of the, the stuff that we do, and we've talked about the strategic intelligence system before, we're seeing that same dip in early 2022. And it's to lose point that companies bought this stuff in advance because they didn't trust the supply chain. If the demand isn't there, well, they'll sort of stop for a while and wait for that inventory to deplete. So the companies that were selling so aggressively this fall will suddenly have little or nothing to do early next year. The hope is that by spring or summer of 2022, it begins to even up. And, and that kind of goes back to that whip allegory where eventually it quits moving you know unless you keep snapping it it's finally stops and it just lays there and and we're sort of hoping for the whip to just lay there by second or third quarter of next year uh on a different note and maybe outside of your realm of uh, expertise but nonetheless i'll throw it out there um 
there are organizations uh, that have made the decision to bring jobs back to the United States. Mm -hmm. And right now in the United States, we're down about a million uh, people from the manufacturing sector, a million jobs. Mm -hmm. We're down a million jobs. We have the job, we don't have the people. Right. It's claimed now by 2025, which is only you know, going to be three years from now, that that million is going to be four million. Mm-hmm. Where where are we getting? You know, there it's a it's a, a storybook case for the robotic industry. Right. Sure, get more jobs, buy more robots, mm-hmm. and yet the public is concerned. Oh, robotics is going to take my job. No, it's going to take your job because you don't have the right skills at this point. Mm-hmm. So how does this, uh, as you see it, affect, um, you know, my scenario of gloom and doom was what I see right now. I see that as just a worsening situation. You got the- Yeah, I mean, the, the challenge with robotics is that it does shift the emphasis in the average manufacturing operation because it's going to reduce some of the lower skilled jobs and replace those with robots, but then it also creates higher skilled jobs to run the machines and program them and organize them and the like. And that's why we've got such a severe shortage. We're not in a situation where we're short people that can shove things around a warehouse by hand. What we're short of are people that can maintain the conveyor systems and run the robots that now do that. So the solution down the road, and it's unfortunately not a fast one, is you either focus on education and training, which a lot of states are trying to do, but it's, it's a long drawn out process. And then you look to immigration and we've always looked to immigration in the past, but what we had was a system that could take somebody with relatively low skills didn't have language, all that stuff, and put them into the system. And within a year or two or three or four, they would work their way up. Now we're trying to recruit people from around the world that already have those skills. And those are more difficult to find. What's going to be interesting, and this is my my weird prediction of the day, and I'll probably have 10 more, um, is that a lot of that immigration is going to end up coming from Africa. Africa has really focused on education for the last 20 years. It also has one of the youngest populations in the world. Almost half of Africa is under the age of 30. And they are educating people faster than they can employ them. So the schools are churning out engineers and doctors and technicians, and then they go out to look for a job. And it's like, well, we don't have any. Um, So the student then says, well, I then need to leave. And we've already seen this in the U.S. in the healthcare system. You know, think about how many of your doctors are foreign. And they're foreign because they got trained, usually in Western schools, nothing to go back home to, so they stayed here. That's going to start happening more on the manufacturing level. I've seen it already. Mm -hmm. And that may be some of the short term, but we have to recognize that we're competing with the Europeans and the Asians for those same people. 
And so it's, you know, China aggressively recruits from Africa. Europe aggressively recruits. We have a little bit of advantage. The Chinese are not that comfortable with people from other cultures and the Africans remember European colonialism. So by contrast, we look a lot better. <laughs> so we're trying to go to Africa saying, hi, you know, we didn't colonize you much. Um, the other guys did. Well, uh, I've been hearing uh, to a degree something uh, slightly different in regards to the involvement of China in mm -hmm. Africa. Uh, they're down there throwing money around like uh, the rich guy down in New Orleans oh, yeah. throwing money in the streets. So uh, they're picking up, uh, you know, they have labor shortages as well. Um, this country will create the jobs if we don't have people and we have a stupid immigration system uh, that they're not taking into account. I mean, my father, your father, Tim, your father, where'd they come from? They weren't mm -hmm. part of the Indian tribe down the block. So we're, we all came from immigrants and that's really what made this country. And you know, right. bringing people in either with skills, which is a smarter thing to do, try and do that first, but there should be a plan B in, in right. You know, Let's do this and do this. Right. Bring these people who have no knowledge, bring these people up to, uh, up to speed with regards to the newer technology that they may not be uh, privy to. And that would solve the problem of the 4 million open jobs in three years from now. Yeah. And when you comment about China, China has definitely thrown a lot of money around Africa, but it has not been well received. The African press is almost universally critical of China saying, you are just like the European colonialists. You come in, you take our resources, you bring in Chinese people, you don't train us, you don't educate us. All you're doing is pillaging, just like the Europeans did. We don't like you. And then you have the problem of the people that go to China and discover, hello, China is a racist country. They do not like anyone other than Chinese, and they don't like the other Asians. They don't like Africans, and the Africans come back saying, wow, these people don't like us. And as a result, there's not a lot of desire to interact with China. You know, it, it's still, it's interesting. The U.S. still has, has some advantages there if they are smart enough to take those into consideration, but we're back to politicians that are not quite with it. Um, I don't know at what point we decided that a good Congress is a mediocre Congress, but we seem to have gotten there. Um, yeah, these, they are looking at the Chinese like the new slave owners. Right, right. And it, I mean, that's that's been traditionally how China has interacted with any country is that they bring in their own system. And, and frankly, so do we, and so do the Europeans, yeah. but we're a little bit less, a little bit less insistent, uh, a little more sensitive than would be the case. And frankly, right. we have African-Americans that can be something of a spearhead to work with Africa. That's not something that China has either. Right, right. And I think that uh, we've lost Tim. Tim, if you can hear me, you are not on screen. Uh, 
But I'll he's gone back. He's gone back to his Indian tribe from whence he came <laughs> down the block. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he didn't dispute that when I said, uh, you know, about the about the Indians. Um, speaking about a group who got a raw deal. Yeah, no kidding. And and still in many ways. Yeah, so, yeah, that that didn't go away either. So anyhow, uh, it, it seems as though that uh, the numbers look good. Just like, for example, uh, we are almost at our uh, pre-COVID numbers in all metals and mm -hmm. forge group, almost. And, uh, but we can't ship it. So right. the more orders we get, hey guys, manufacturers out there, you hearing this? The more orders you go to get, the more difficult it's going to be to turn that into revenue. Right. Every conceivable issue, trucks, drivers, the whole industry. Uh, I, I read in, in a um, uh, popular science magazine issue where there is a group who is uh, developing um, dirigibles, mm -hmm. industrial dirigibles. And for those of you out there who don't know what a dirigible is, it is a uh, balloon. Oh, the humanity. Yes, right. Yeah. And <laughs> the Hindenburg. Uh, Think of a Hindenburg that's not bursting into flame. So. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> you see, you shouldn't have told them. They would have never known that. <laughs> <laughs> we, it's difficult to, a, to educate the younger because certain things you don't want them to know. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry I took your podium today with uh, all the jokes and so on. Uh, no, no problem. No problem. So, and it's and your comment on transportation is is very well well rooted because right now the load to truck ratio is seven point five. There are seven point five loads for every single truck in the United States. Right. And and that's simply because of driver shortage. There are plenty of tractors. There are plenty of trailers. Right. There's just an eighty thousand truck driver shortage in the U.S. and particularly for the long haul driver. Oh, particularly the long haul. First of all, the the older guys, they're they're hanging on. They're not the ones who didn't retire yet are thinking it every time oh, yeah. they go long haul and they're on the road for a month. So right. there's a lot less of that. And the younger younger guys who want to be a truck driver or fell into it somehow, uh, they don't. They they want to drive LTL. Yeah. They want to lo drive local. They don't want to go away for uh, two, three, four weeks at a time. No, absolutely. And and to your point of immigration, the two places where we're recruiting the most truck drivers are from Eastern Europe and South Asia. And to the point that companies are looking for translators that can help deal with their Russian and Slavic drivers. And you now I was talking with a bunch of Russian drivers at a truck stop one time and was commenting and they said, you know, well, we are Russian. We have Russian wives. We want to be on the road as much as possible. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny. Uh, Again, this situation, uh, talk about root cause and solution, is it's going to drive the autonomous 
truck industry. Right. And I mean, yeah, they already think, have they're already testing. Right. And I think you'll see a lot of, like with a lot of new technologies, it's going to be kind of situational. You'll probably see a lot of that long haul out in the West done by autonomous trucks, because we already know that once you get on those highways, you can take a nap in the back of your car, put a brick on the accelerator, and you'll be fine. It doesn't curve for 800 miles. It won't be in the inner cities. It won't be in packed suburbs. But the same thing with the autonomous cars. They're going to be used in areas where there's predictability. Um, electrics and those sort of thing are going to be in fleets. So the problems that are evident, I mean, somebody gets an electric car, the first thing they have to worry about is how to charge it. But if it's in a fleet, they don't worry about it. It comes back to the home base every night, gets charged, out it goes, you know, FedEx and UPS already using them. I mean, the way that this could work with the autonomous trucks is that they don't deliver, deliver into inner cities, they deliver to a warehousing right. operation yep. outside of a city. And then an LTL truck comes and picks it up and makes distribution. Absolutely. That makes sense. Yep. The final mile is, is the part where there's probably the least shortage because you're right. The people who do P and D, it's a regular job. They work eight hours, they drive around the city all day, they go home. And it's the ones that are on the road for extended period of time. And right now the average age of an over the road truck driver is 60. Um, in all the transportation, we're also looking at pilots that are aging. And believe it or not, there is an entirely drone airline in Europe. It's a little commuter airline that there's no pilot, no flight attendants. It's oh flown as a drone. Really? And, and that will not appeal to me because every time I use technology, I just get buffering, 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 <laughs> buffering. <laughs> So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, but you know, a bus, a taxi, yeah, but an airplane is only one mistake that can happen. Exactly. You 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 do you do know that you're going to land. It's just simply the speed oh, at which you yeah. land <laughs> and how hard. And so and exactly. So well, uh, Chris, I, I thank you for. Uh, today's uh, show and review of the uh, uh, stats from uh, the credit managers index uh, i appreciate and let's see if we can get a routine going so that we can do nightclubs together <laughs> as exactly comedians. exactly i'll just have to practice on singing feelings um you know so we'll, we'll, we'll be in good shape thank uh, you again for the opportunity and uh, we'll We'll talk yes. next month. We'll talk next month. Okay, folks, uh, that's our show today. Uh, the numbers are looking good. The problems are there. The problems aren't going away. Uh, uh, if you feel disturbed about the way things are, let us know. Let us hear from you, and uh, we'll we can talk about it. Uh, I've always I always pick up interesting aspects. Of conversation with some of our listeners and certainly our uh, guests. So uh, that's a, a wrap for uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio. Tune in to Jacket Media Co., and uh, which is our uh, mother company, the mothership in digital terms. Um, and you'll see our other shows that we have on a regular basis. 
all about manufacturing. That's what we are, manufacturing globally. Thanks for being on the show, Chris, and we will see you next month. Very good. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care now. Bye-bye. All right, folks, thank you, and we'll see you in the video. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.